Tournament Selection Committee unveiled its top 16 at this moment. If you didn't watch it on CBS, shame on you because CBS is America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. But don't worry, we got it recapped for you. The one seeds were Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, and Purdue. The two seeds were Auburn, Kansas, Duke, Cincinnati. The three seeds were Clemson, Texas Tech, Michigan State, North Carolina. And the four seeds were Tennessee, Ohio State, Arizona, and Oklahoma, Norlander, your thoughts on what the selection committee unveiled? Well, there's a lot to get to here. A uh, number of ways that we can go. Um, well, just pick one. No, I'm going to pick a whole bunch here, actually. <laughs> but I guess I have to start with one, don't I? Um, what I will start with is what I did not realize, and Gumble had this on the said this, and I think the graphic was on the screen. The number was either 14 or 15 of the 16 teams that were in the top 16 of last year's field of 68, I think it was 15. If I'm wrong, it might have been 14 regardless. It was higher than I was expecting. Those were the, four, they were the same month over month from the month prior. Um, you would expect at least 8 to 10. That was just a little bit of a higher number than I expected. I bring that up because as Paris has run down all these teams, you know, don't take too much stock into what, the committee released here because there's still a lot that can change and in particular i've got serious issues with two of the teams that are even on this but i promised myself i would not and will not overreact to uh, a bunch of rankings that essentially don't matter but at the same time um high probability that the teams on the one line the two line and i think at least half the teams on the three line you're going to probably still see in the in geographic protection top four seed lines when we get to Selection Sunday. As we record this podcast, we are a month away exactly from Selection Sunday. So uh, it's it's coming up in a hurry, 28 days here. Um, so that was the one thing that popped out to me before they revealed it. Parrish, I mean, clearly here, um, Arizona and Oklahoma's inclusion into this, are they're, they're the two warts. Um, if you want to get into seeding, like Michigan State being a three and not a two, or you know, Kansas being ahead of Texas Tech. I, I get all that, and uh, that's fine, I guess. Um, but Arizona and Oklahoma, I just – I would not have them on my four-line personally right now. I think I'd have both Gonzaga and Rhode Island on that four-line. Rhode Island, for certain, at this point, uh, was a little surprised by that. Um, I think there's some contradictory uh, philosophies at play here, and this is the one drawback of the committee doing this, is that you're going to show your hand a little bit here, and whatever Bruce Rasmussen, the current chair of the committee, uh, said on television on CBS, and then obviously he did interviews afterward, you know, will that, uh, will that philosophy still hold, uh, still hold water a month from now? That remains to be seen. If you're a fan of any of these teams or the ones that didn't get included, you know, this is simply an exercise to show you where the committee is now with these teams. And I want to add a little more context before I toss it back to you, GP, on how this was all 
built out because I did have someone ask me, you know, how much how much effort, you know, how much work do you think went into these rankings? Well, I think there was plenty that went into them, but to be frank, like I, I think it's a fraction of what will actually be discussed uh, seriously in a field of 68 when the committee meets for four or five straight days before assembling the bracket and all of that. The committee did meet earlier in the week uh, in Indianapolis as they always do in February. Why? Because there are almost always new committee members on on the committee, and they need to get together in person before they can ever meet in March. Otherwise, that could be uh, just potentially a huge hindrance to the process. So they did that. They started breaking down some of these teams, and it is my general understanding that, yes, they hashed out a lot of these resumes, and they were they had a general idea of, okay, here's who we like on the one, two, three, and 4 lines, and you know what, these teams on the fives or six, like let's just keep an eye on what's going to happen here over the next couple of days because my understanding is they, you know, come Thursday, they when they all left uh, Indianapolis, they they had a general idea, but then they had to have a conference call late Saturday night to reestablish any results that happened. Well, GP, as you well know, as the daily purveyor and constructor of our top 25 and one on the site, it has been a disastrous week for the polls. You've had, what, 17, 18 ranked teams take a loss this week, and 10, 10 of those ranked teams lost at home. Most of those ranked teams, I believe it was uh, seven of them, lost at home to unranked competition. So when you're battling with all of these resumes and you get all of that and it's thrown at you at the last minute, I think it can have um, less of an impact in regard to the, the committee putting these teams on the line than than you might suspect. I, I firmly believe that Gonzaga's road win over St. Mary's was not taken into account nearly to the degree that it should have been. Uh, and that's why Gonzaga, you don't see on that four line at this point. But it is just a start here. I have no issues with the one seeds or anything like that. And um, I, I can share a few other comments in other regions, but I'll save that for a little bit later here. Uh, those are my general takeaways. GP, this is the second year they've decided to do this. Um, what, are your, uh, what are your primary thoughts from the 16 teams we saw revealed? What's interesting, you said that you would have had all of those teams except in your top 16 as well, except for Arizona and Oklahoma. That is exactly what the top 25 and one shows. I filed it this morning before the uh, show aired at 1230 Eastern. And of the 16 teams that the selection committee said were its top 16, 14 of them are in the top 16 of the top 25 and one. The only ones that aren't are Arizona and Oklahoma. I actually have Gonzaga and St. Mary's instead of Arizona and Oklahoma. But certainly, if you wanted to make a case for Gonzaga and Rhode Island instead, it's fine with me. Um, I think Rhode Island could, could reasonably be, be placed in that top 16. So I obviously didn't have much of an issue with, um, with, with the teams that were selected. Um, and I, I really don't have much issue, issue with seeding. The top 25-1 right now has Virginia 1, Villanova 2, um, uh, let me make sure it's correct so I don't misquote myself. Mich I actually have Michigan State 3 now and Xavier 4. But I thought when I woke up this morning and I'm looking at everything, there were only five schools in my mind that could you could reasonably place as one seeds. There were five schools working for four spots. And I thought they were obviously Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, Purdue, and Michigan State. I went with Michigan State over Purdue. Yes, I thought the result from yesterday mattered. Um, I understand Michigan State doesn't have a strong strength of schedule, and I understand that it doesn't have as many you know, so-called quality wins or quadrant one wins or quadrant two wins or however they're defining it these days um, as, as the other schools. But I think that says more about the Big Ten than it says about Michigan State. And so I would have had 
I'm perfectly fine with Michigan State being the last number one or a number two. I don't know how you get them down to a three other than you're just docking them for for things that they're really not that responsible for. Like, the, you know, I know that they haven't done much work away from home. Okay, well, they've only lost two games away from home. One was Duke on a neutral and one was at Ohio State. So what did you want them to do? It's not like they had a million opportunities on the road to do to do more than what they've already done. And while I understand the strength of schedule, um, rating is not good, and that's being used against them, I hate strength of schedule. I think it's a, it, it's a number that can be manipulated. It's a number that's often misleading. It doesn't mean what some people seem to think it means. People think it means you played the – like if you've got the number one strength of schedule, people think that that means you played the hardest schedule. That is not what that means. Like if you rank it, number one in three-point percentage, that means you shoot a better percentage from three-point range than everybody else in the country. It means exactly what it suggests it's supposed to be. But if you rate number one in strength of schedule, that does not mean you play the hardest schedule. And so I never like that. But I, I gather you and DeCourcy were arguing about this on Twitter, and you are you're pro strength of schedule guy. Yeah, we've had this discussion on the podcast, and we were not arguing because I refused to argue with DeCourcy about this. Um, it's more nuanced than DeCourcy was making it out to be. Uh, as it pertains to strength of schedule, I don't like it as it's used by the committee because it's used using uh, RPI data. What I am in favor of is looking, it is, in, it is inherently impossible to evaluate teams without looking at who you've played. And when you do that, whether you are blatantly acknowledging it or not, you are evaluating a team's overall strength of schedule. This is an element that cannot be eliminated from the evaluation process. Let me stop you for one second. Uh, I think I, you and I agree on this. It is when you are evaluating a team, it is very important to look at at who they played. Obviously, I mean, when I do the top twenty-five and one every morning, it is rooted in who have you played, who have you beaten, when did you do it, where was the game played, who have you lost to, where did it happen, when did it happen, were players suspended, injured, so on and so forth. Like all of that is stuff that any uh, smart person should take into consideration. I just don't think the best way to determine who somebody has played is to look at a strength of schedule rating. In other words, I was looking at it earlier. So right now, Temple has the 40th rated strength of schedule in America, according Accor to Ken Palm. According to Ken Palm, okay, which would be different from RPI. That's I don't different. have their RPI. Like, but it's rooted in the same stuff. Um, Florida State's is 43rd. Now, I, 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 I understand that the way strength of schedule is calculated, that that suggests Temple has played a tougher schedule than Florida State. Do you think Temple's played a tougher schedule than Florida State? Temple has played seven games against top 50 Ken Palm teams. Florida State's played 11 already. Like, I, do, you, do, do, you think an do you think it's even possible for an American Athletic Conference team to play a tougher schedule than an ACC school? Right. So here's what, we were also, here's what I also want to take into account with this discussion. <laughs> I am much more reliant upon non-conference strength of schedule than conference, which means inherently that a strength of schedule can be colored one way or another, and you can use that data for or against a team's case. It's also important to remember when we're discussing this that it is merely one data point, should never be a deciding data point. Broadly speaking, here is why I'm the biggest proponent of it. The Coaches, as I mean, I feel like this is the 50th time I've talked about this on the podcast in the past five or six years. 
if you allow coaches to govern themselves when it comes to scheduling, they are going to let their worst instincts take over and schedule as easily as possible in the non-conference schedule so that they can pad their win totals, get themselves longer contracts, more money, jump to better jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's their motivations. That's totally fine. Whatever. I love the fact that the selection committee acts as a de facto by proxy governing body over the worst instincts of coaches. And therefore, you should correctly either reward teams or punish them through seeding based on how they schedule out of conference because that, in, in many ways, is under a coach's control. And so it's why I'm a believer that to better the sport of college basketball, you're not going to be able to get a league commissioner to do it. You're not going to be able to get Mark Emmert to do it. You're not going to be able to get Adam Silver or any outside influencers. The only way that you can get coaches to actually change their scheduling philosophy is to tell them, if you schedule difficultly and you lose some games that you really don't want to lose, but you win in other spots, we are going to reward you for making that chase. Now, some people will disagree with that, and that's fine. Personally, I want college basketball to be as good as it can possibly be in November and December. How do you do that? You make it as competitive as possible. How do you do that? You have as many top 50-type programs playing each other during those months. And how do you do that? It comes back to the selection committee holding coaches accountable, and one of the primary data points to doing that is relying upon strength of schedule. Okay, that's all fine. Except I would argue um, if you're a Big 12 coach, you'd be an idiot to schedule as aggressively out of the league as maybe um, an American athletic conference coach can, or an Atlanta, a, a, a coach at a good Atlantic 10 program or a coach at like Gonzaga, you know, where, you know, you're not going to spend January, February and early March playing a ridiculous league schedule. So you can schedule aggressively outside of the league to ensure you get quality opportunity. Like if I'm the head coach at um, TCU, for instance, the last thing I'm trying to do is schedule a bunch of monsters in my non-league because I got monsters all January, February, and March. So I, I, I actually think th to then look at non-conference strength of schedule and make big decisions off of it isn't taking into account. I wouldn't define it as a big decision, GP. Maybe you would. Maybe it is fair. But I'm talking about the difference between one or two seed lines and all of that. I, I guess I'd throw this back at you. If you don't want to use strength of schedule as, mm -hmm. as a metric uh, that helps you determine how to seed and rank teams. By, by the way, just so we're good, that is exactly where I'm at. I do not want to use it. I all right, so so what is, what is the reasonable proxy and substitution for that? Because it's fine. Like, we can have a philosophical difference about that. That's totally cool. But you need to present... Uh, something that can actually serve as as a substitute, and it. I guess my point is, it's very hard to do that when you are inherently judging teams based upon the competition that they've played. I don't think it's hard. Um, I do it every day. What what you do is you say, hey, you guys can set, schedule however you want to schedule, but here's what we value: we value quality wins, we value road wins. Um, we don't care if you win 29 games, but you haven't played anybody. And so go schedule however you want. We're not going to look at some uh, sketch of, uh, uh, strength of schedule number that can be manipulated and is also misleading. Like it, it does not mean what people think it means. Temple has not played a tougher schedule than Florida State. Right. I would guess, GP, sorry to interrupt. I would guess that that number is like that because, and I could be wrong, my my blind guess, I'm not looking at Temple or Florida State schedules or anything in front of me right now. Uh, um 
Temple might be absent the absolute bottom competition on its schedule versus Florida State, or it might have. That's how it gets. That's how the numbers get mixed up. Okay, well then that's, but that's also a, a, a rational mathematical conclusion to that. Like there is an there is a, a advantage toward winning if you're if you're loading up on two fifty or worse schools, and that should impact your overall strength of schedule. Like, it's going right. to be easier to win six straight games against that kind of competition versus if you're playing six games against teams that would fall seventy five to one fifty. You agree with that, right? A hundred percent. But like it can be manipulated. Like I I've talked to coaches about this. They said the key to having a great strength of schedule and a great RPI is Avoid the like. D- figure out and be realistic about what your team is, and then schedule a bunch of non-league games against teams that you are um, slightly better than, like that that you can beat, that you know we can beat them even if we just play okay. And like, if that means hey, we're a legitimate top fifty team on our home floor, we ought to be able to beat any legitimate team in the in any team in the top one fifty, like between seventy five and one fifty, we should be able to beat any of them on our home court. So that's all of our buy games. We are not going to schedule anybody outside of the top 150. We're not. We're staying away from 300s. We're staying away from 200s. And at the end, it'll say they played a tougher schedule, even if they played nothing but schools between 75 and 150. Even if they haven't played a single top 50 team in America, their strength of schedule is going to be good simply because they avoided the 300s and the 200s. Like that's that's wrong. The way the way I would do it, the way I actually do it, it's wrong in this sense. It doesn't it doesn't mean the strength of schedule rating doesn't mean what people think it means it uh, temple as temple has played seven games against top 50 kimpon teams right now florida state has played 11 florida state has played four more top 50 games than than temple florida state has played a tougher schedule but the strength of schedule numbers do not back that up at least according to kimpon that's where the numbers are misleading what i would do is just what i said tell coaches we we here's what we care about we don't care about your wins that don't mean anything we care about quality wins road wins um uh you know uh Neutral court wins, um, and, if, and if you beat a bunch of bums, like it, it almost doesn't matter to us. We won't even look at it. And then, and then, and then at the end of the day, like when the selection committee gets together, they they say, okay, how many? Like I don't even mind the quadrant one, quadrant two. I know that it's it's RPI based, so some people push back on it. But that to me is the basic way you evaluate somebody's resume. Like who have you beaten? Take all the games that don't matter and throw them over here. The only way the bad teams you played matter is if they happen to beat you. If you beat them, they don't mean anything to us. Who have you beaten of quality? Where did the game happen? When did the game happen? What were the details connected to the game? And then we'll judge you based on that. Like that, To me, that's the way to do it and get that strength of schedule number out of there because it's very easy for Bruce Rasmussen or anybody else who sits in that chair to say Michigan State has a very poor strength of schedule, therefore they're on the three line. Okay, but what, what do you – but that strength of schedule yeah. rating can be misleading, and it doesn't mean what people think it means. You know, I, I just I hate I hate that it is the one data point that I literally never even look at because I don't I don't I refuse to to agree with people who think that it means anything. Yeah, so I. Uh... I don't have an issue. I don't with, disagree. You at least hear where I'm coming yeah, from. Yeah, no, I do. I do. And in fact, I don't even, I, I hardly do ever reference it. I do think it can be helpful as a data point within the broader context of when you're comparing a couple teams and if they have resumes that are, are, are just, you know, crossing each other left and right and you're looking for this, that, and the other. And the, the, the example you put out is a good one here in regard to Temple and Florida State because one good way of offsetting if you would game the strength of schedule as it comes to that is this quadrant system. System and by God, we're going to say quadrant a thousand times on this I, podcast. I like the quadrant. I wish it was maybe rooted in a. Um, yes. 
a different like, yeah, yeah well someday tell me if you believe this someday we're going to have a a because people get i know when they listen to the podcast or when they look at the top 25 and one they get tired of kin pom kin pom kin pom i i for me it's just a grouping tool it's a very easy way to say top 25 wins top 50 wins top 100 wins so on and so forth one day we will have a a ranking system that is a composite of all of this stuff of kpi kin pom rpi sagarin whatever and we'll call that something and we can all reference it together and feel good about it like we're headed that direction i think i hope we get there soon but if we had that like a composite of all the metrics that people value and we we, we average them and however you want to do it like i'll let somebody smarter than me figure it out but we have one thing that we reference and we all kind of respect then the quadrant thing is i think it's going to work beautifully but folks will reject it right now like smart basketball people simply because it's RPI based. Right. And, and, and that's totally fine and totally fair. Oh my gosh. We are just slipping down a rabbit hole here. Like we haven't even gone to anything that I thought we were going to get to yet. And that's totally fine. I will say this. So listeners have a, a general idea of, of where we're at now with the selection and seating process and where we're moving toward, you know, the NCAA is talking to like people at high level universities like MIT saying, we want to fix this. Okay. But we want to fix this, and we're going to fix it for decades. This isn't something that we want to be dealing with 5, 10, 15 years from now and want to tinker again, okay? This is a generational change. And so when we fix it, knowing full well that there's never going to be one system that's correct, by the way, nor should there be because if you had that, you'd you'd eliminate the human element. I love the selection committee. I love that there's controversy. It's also good for the sport. We can't deny that. And there's always room for some disagreement that is so much of what can make this fun, and we're just trying to get a little bit better, inch by inch, just to make a little bit of a fairer, more practical, reasonable field of 68. The native data in the team sheets is still RPI. The NCAA is hoping next year, man, I hope it's not more than a year, that they can get something else. You mentioned the composite. Here's where they're at a standstill and what they have to decide what they want to do. The NCAA is caught in a philosophical tug of war with itself. You want to field the best possible field that you can, but you want to judge teams based off of their resume. So KPI, RPI, and what's called strength of record, which is a ter- which is a evaluation uh, metric that a lot of people might not be familiar with, is an ESPN-based metric. All of those are looking in the rearview mirror. They're based on what you've done. They have no elements of prediction to them. Sagarin. Ken Palm, BPI are all predictive elements. And so what the NCAA has to decide, and, and you know, when the NCAA met with Sagarin, Palmorion, Jerry Palm, plenty of others, they got a lot of input last year about what we should do here. There is concern that if you mix the batters, so to speak, with predictive and non-predictive, you are not really totally solving the problem that's at hand here. And so that might not be the best idea. So if you're not going to do that, you might have to pick a lane. And if you're going to pick a lane, historically, you would say you would pick the uh, the RPI and everything that's looking backward. Not just the RPI, obviously, but KPI and strength of record. You'd pick that one. Well, that's not that's not playing ball here with what you're trying to do. You want to have the best possible field. And if you want to do that, empirically, it has been proven, not just in college basketball, but in sports across the board, that predictive measures like Ken Palm and Sagarin and BPI and the Massey ratings, they have an element in the broad sweep of it of being more accurate. 
So the NCAA has a philosophical tussle it's got to figure out here, and the sooner it can get there, the better. And once we can get to that composite, I can't wait for that day to come. It's still not going to It's not gonna make everyone happy. There's not going to be a system where everyone thinks it's going to be perfect. But the sooner we get there, the better. Uh, in the meantime, I really want to emphasize that what we have now with the quadrants is better than what we have. Yes, anytime you have a cutoff number. 40, 50, 75, 125, 245. Yes, the cutoff number itself is arbitrary. I get that. But at least now you've got a little bit of overlapping, a little bit of grouping. And so when you've got a team that might be gaming that strength of schedule just a little bit, if they're doing what Parrish was saying before, guess what? They're still not going to have the quadrant one representation in terms of victories that it's probably going to think it, it it needs in order to have a much better seed or get into a field. So we are getting there. I I. I get that everyone wants to bash the NCAA, and trust me, I think putting Oklahoma in the top 16 is a freaking joke. It was a massive misstep. Everyone knows it. Even if Bruce Rasmussen never on the committee is not going to admit it. But we are undeniably in a better place with selection now than we were even three, especially five, particularly ten years ago. The big question is, where will we be a year from now? Can we get a more concrete, evolved um, uh, process in place? Still don't have the answer to that. The cutoff. Are, are, are you're exactly right on that because anywhere you like is a win over a top 50 team okay so like right now at Ken Palm Marquette's 50th Loyola Chicago's 51 it, like is a win over use over Marquette at 50 that much different any different than a win over Loyola Chicago it's just not but when people talk about top 25 wins and top 25 wins I notice this all the time in the top 25 and one because I look at this stuff every day like somebody's resume will get better in the way that I interpret it because UCLA moved in to the top 50 at Kinpom. So it's like, oh, wow, well, um, that, you know, okay, now UCLA is in the top 50. So that's a, a you know, a, a, a nice win for, you know, whoever, Arizona State. Arizona State added another top 50 win because they got, you know, UCLA. So the cutoffs can be misleading. But they are what they are. Um, what's interesting about when I, because I don't, I clearly do not look at resumes the same way the selection committee does. We come at it from different angles. We use different metrics, but we almost got the same thing. And I, I, I do think that I find that to be true more often than not. Like we can argue about RPI and KPI and Massey and Sagarin and Kinbaum, but usually by the end, we're, we, we end up in the same spots. Again, I don't have the teams um, seated in the same way that they do, but I got basically the same teams, and so did you. You basically had the same teams. And so I do think that we, we spend a whole lot of time bickering about um, the process, bickering about um, the, you know, the metrics that we use. But ultimately, like if you just look at this stuff, intelligently almost regardless of the information you use you you sort of land on the same teams can i throw sense? yeah i want to throw one particular seating situation at you um and i think we are on the same page together and with the selection committee here uh heard a little bit of noise about the fact um that duke is on the two line and carolina is on the three line obviously carolina just won uh, a home game over duke uh really then after the committee had broke uh, in person, um, Carolina got that win. But I, I would be hard-pressed, extremely hard-pressed, to have Carolina above Duke in any sort of way uh, at this point. And 
really, when you line the resumes up, Duke absolutely has a firm case to be a seed line over Carolina. You agree with that, right? Well, I mean, let's just go to the top 25 and one. Like, it's there every day, and I did it this morning before that television show started. I had Duke ranked eighth, so that's a two. And I had North Carolina ranked 14th, so that would be a four. I have them two seed lines ahead of North Carolina. And it's wild to me because I get pushback every day. Like, when you're going to rank teams every day and then tweet it to 170,000 people, um, you're going to get pushback every day, called an idiot every day. But And people are like, oh, you love Duke, and uh, if, if you took Duke off the jersey, would you still – Duke has a top-10 resume in the country. They just do. I'm sorry if you hate them. I'm sorry if you don't like Mike Krzyzewski. I'm sorry if Grayson Allen used to drive you crazy back when he mattered. But, like, Duke has a – a top 10 resume in the country. They have, um, you know, victories over, I'm looking through it now, Michigan State, Texas, Florida, got a win over Florida State, a win over Miami, a win over Notre Dame. And they only have, and this is really the, the key to the resume, um, you know, the, the, the losses, like everybody focuses on, they just, they, they've lost three or four. Well, one of them was to the team I think is the number one team in the country, which, by the way, I kept Virginia number one in the top 25 and one, even after last night's loss. Spent this morning getting caught an idiot, and then there's a selection committee saying Virginia's got the best resume. Yeah, I know. That's what I just told you. When you look at it, it's very clear Virginia's got the best resume in the country. So one of those losses was a two-point loss to the number one team in the country, um, and then another loss was a four-point loss at Chapel Hill. Like in a game that they were an underdog. The St. John's one, I can't do anything with that. But St. John's has subsequently beaten uh, uh, well, uh, oh, uh, The St. John's has beaten the one and the two in the East right now. What is going on with St. John's? The dumbest thing in the world. The idea that St. John's could just win, lose 11 games in a row and then beat Duke and then beat Villanova and then beat Marquette with their little half Devin Downies. There we go. That did happen. Add up, yeah. add up to one Devin Downey. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. So they took care of that. St. John's has now won three in a row. So, listen, I can't excuse that loss. It's still a bad loss. But, like, St. John's has won some games since then. Duke has a top ten resume. I, I don't – The it, it reminds me of this. Um, because often you'll still see people – and I say this as somebody who talks on television um, – but you'll, you'll see people who talk on TV or who are on radio and they'll just randomly, oh, that team's in the tournament. Oh, that team's out of the tournament. Well, that team's out. That team's in. Oh, yeah, that team's in. And I always, and when people ask me that, I say, well, you have to, you know, you have to sit down and put pen to paper, like, or yeah. at least fingers to keyboard on a computer. Like, go fill out a bracket because you don't, you, you don't know how these teams compare to other teams in the country um, without looking at it, like looking at everything. I am maybe the one person on the planet who looks at everything every single morning. I'm at least one of the few. And there is no way to look at it and conclude anything other than Duke's got a top 10 resume. I run into this all the time at the bottom of the top 25 and one doing it with Kentucky right now. And I'm not saying there's not an argument to be made against Kentucky being ranked. I still have Kentucky ranked. You could reasonably unrank Kentucky. I, I won't spend a Politex column on that. But people will be like, how could you still rank Kentucky? Or how You've got to put 26 teams in this thing. Who else do you want to put? Find somebody I have not listed that's better than TCU's resume or Kentucky's resume or whatever. And so often I think people scream without understanding the context. All they know is that Duke has lost three or four, so there's no way Duke could be in the top ten. But the truth is, and the committee showed this today, 
Duke's got a top ten resume. The two the two line is where I would have him. Yeah. Um. Any. I I wonder what your thoughts are. I'm like Oklahoma, man. Like that's just. Well, that's... here's the thing. Like I kept them ranked because, like I I just all I do is I I, I go okay there now I've got my top fifteen done. What's next? I mean that's real. I just start at the top and I just go down the list. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, wait. And so if a team loses, I I go okay. I mean this is really the way I do it. If a team loses, I stop at them, and then I look at the team below them. Because sometimes people will tweet me and they'll be they'll be like, oh, this team lost to so and so and only dropped two spots, and then this team lost to this team and they dropped six spots. How does that make sense? Because I don't even think in terms of dropping spots. I strictly look at where you're at and I go, okay, they lost this game yesterday. It's a bad loss. It's you know it was a, to a bad team. Okay, clearly they're not going to be here anymore. Who's right below them? Now let me compare their resumes. Let me compare what's going on with this team and that team. Okay, yeah, that bot, that team below them yesterday is now better than them. Boom, they're ahead. Okay, now who's next? Let's compare them to that. And when I ever get to a place where I go, okay, Oklahoma lost or this team lost, but they clearly have a better resume than, the, than, than this team I'm comparing them to, that's where they go. And so I got to a point with Oklahoma where, you know, I, I got them at 22. And I know that because of the way they've been struggling, people – um, think that they shouldn't be ranked right now. I saw, I think Jeff Eisenberg, um, you know, tweet yesterday. Oklahoma's at risk of falling out of the top 25 on Monday because he was talking about like, can Trey Young win National Player of the Year if his team's just not any good? And they are at risk of falling out of the top 25. But I've got them 22nd because I got to a point where I was just like, their resume is still good even if they haven't played well lately. And I think the selection committee sort of underlined that earlier today. To be clear, I don't see how you can get them in the top 16, which is what they had to do. But they're still in the top. Like, I wouldn't have them as a four seed, but I'd have them as like a, a six. They're still there because they've got, and I know that the selection committee's not dealing with Kimpom wins, but, you know, they still got seven top 50 Kimpom wins and just three sub 50 losses. Um, they're six and six in the Big 12. They haven't played well lately. But the body of work is still pretty good. It's just not as good as the selection committee seems to think. Yeah, it's but, it's. But what it yeah. does, what it does is, I think this shows, and you tell me if I'm wrong, they really value wins. Well, the, they, yeah, they you're... really value wins, and they don't care about the losses nearly as much as I care about the losses. This, yeah, but they, they care about wins. GP, we're on the same wavelength here. This is the last thing I wanted to touch on this before we move on to anything else. I say it every year uh, on our reaction pod, like. And you'll never get me off this. Losses have to matter. They the have to. Every day in the top 25 and 1. I had a guy earlier today. He tweeted me about Florida. He said, how could you not have Florida in the top 25 and 1? And, and to be clear, if you wanted to have Florida, you could. But he went in and, like, this is what fans do nonstop. And I think it's what the selection committee does. They focus on the wins always. When somebody is trying to tell you about their team, they always tell you about their wins. They never Talk about the losses. Florida has one, two, three, four sub-50 Ken Palm losses. A home loss to Loyola Chicago. A loss in the state of uh, – no, a home loss to Loyola Chicago. A loss at Ole Miss. A home loss to South Carolina. And a loss to a Georgia team that's not very good. Like those losses have to matter. But when fans look at resumes, they almost never – they just act like the losses are just whatever, and they focus only on the wins. And the selection committee like does that, I think, more more often than not. 
I think they do, and I'm fearful, and I think a lot of people listening to this episode are going to agree with this. There's a little bit of a fear with this Quadrant stuff now, a heavy emphasis on Quadrant 1, which, fine, that's all well and good. You have to put losses into context and punish teams accordingly, and it's who you lost to. Volume should matter as well. If you are that good that you have – Four freaking ridiculous top 20 wins, but you've lost 12 games. Hey, that's amazing. You've proven you can beat some of the best of the best. You still should be dinged and be one or two seed lines below where, where you think you should be. And then if you're that good and you can beat those teams, then go out and freaking beat them the hard way in the tournament and be at a disadvantage on the seed line. You're going to get into the tournament anyway, but if you have racked up a lot of losses or if, if your loss total is similar to another team – and you have two brutal losses on the docket uh, as opposed to another team that doesn't, and you might only have one better win, dock them for the losses. That's the only thing. Like, I, I, I don't like an all-in philosophy on you've beaten these great teams that should matter above and beyond anything. It can very well be a tiebreaker kind of thing. Like we talked about with NC State, if this team winds up being on the bubble, it's got a whole hell of a lot of losses, but then so does everyone else. NC State has proven that it can beat the top of the top, whereas other teams might not have done that. I'm okay with that when you want to look at it like that. But I just get the sense more and more in recent years that losses have not been as on the table, a part of the discussion, a part of the seating process as they should be. And I really implore the committee to keep that in mind because I think it might be easy when you're in the room and you're looking at Quadrant 1 and you're looking at Quadrant 2 and you're seeing these games and you're getting better about evaluating all this. Just keep that in mind and to completely, not completely, but to partially couch what I'm saying here. At the same time, if a team loses at the 55th ranked team or whatever, okay, on the road. Let's just evaluate that within context, okay? That's We're getting there, but I'm glad we're on the same page with that. It, it does drive me up, though. It makes me a little bit batty just to see uh, an eight-loss Oklahoma team that, in my, in my opinion, has got no business being on the four line, and here come the Trey Young conspiracy theories. The Trey Young truthers are going to be coming out of the woodwork. Um, Gonzaga and Rhode Island have so much more of a claim to that right now than the Sooners. Well, how about this? This is the obvious breakdown between my top 16 and the committee's top 16. Because who did 99 have in? Arizona and um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got all those losses. Those losses matter to me in a way that they don't matter to the committee. And Arizona, for all of its talent and its nice win over USC on Saturday, they've got four sub-50 Kenpom losses. They've lost to NC State on a neutral, SMU on a neutral, at Colorado, at Washington. So why do I have a um, a lesser opinion of Arizona than the committee does? Because I focus on those losses as well. And I, I, I really do think that's the difference between my 16 and their 16. They didn't care about Oklahoma's losses. They didn't care about Arizona's losses. Um, but I actually do care about those things. And so that like that's where we break apart. And I do think it's a, it's a problem. Not the biggest deal in the world, but... I do wish they would pay because I've noticed this before. I think we've had this conversation before. Definitely have. Right. They don't seem to value. They don't seem to care about the losses nearly as much as I think. I think they should. You mentioned Trey Young. How about the game day crew stealing our Trey Young over under? Listen, it's it's a form of flattery, and unfortunately, we forgot to do it uh, on last week's episode. They do they play? Hold on, let's GP. Do they play before they play Texas Tech? 
Tuesday. Right, let's just do it right now. They uh, <laughs> they really need this win. Texas Tech, by the way, twenty one and four, looking really solid and uh, at a three seed right now, according to the committee. I do agree with that right now. If the tournament started today, I have them on the three line. Trey Young. Over, under, let's just get it done. That's going to be a home game for the Red Raiders in Lubbock. Side note on a, on, on that story, uh, Trey Young's father played at Texas Tech, so that'll be uh, an interesting game. And, in fact, I'm almost positive of this. I think Trey had said um, when they played the first time in Norman, in the first half he was a little bit thrown in the whole game because like it's his father's alma mater and he had a little bit too much going on. Wonder what Trey's going to be like as they head to that. And Oklahoma is in some serious need of a morale boost. I'll go. I'm going to go low on you here, GP. Texas Tech is a top five defense in the country, so let's go. Uh, let's go. Twenty six and a half points, eight and a half assists, and six and a half turnovers for Mister Young on Tuesday night. I'm going to go over points. That's our lowest, by the way, so far. Twenty-six and a half. I'm really going low there. One over points, under assist, under turnovers. But I'm with you on all three, which may be a good sign because we went three for three on our agreement picks this weekend. Do you realize yes, that? Yes, I do realize that, and probably not a coincidence that I also had a rare, a very rare, but an actual like. Good gambling day on Saturday. <laughs> I didn't lose all my money on Saturday. I like went to bed last. I like texted with like we've got. I got a group text with like four buddies, three buddies. There's four of us, and uh, all we do is sit around every night and like talk about how uh, smart we are picking games, and then like fast forward four hours. Like I can't believe we put our money on that. We all we were just we're the worst gamblers in the world. Uh, but like I texted one. I texted last time. I was like, yo, like I had a good day today. This is I'm, I'm just gonna go to sleep happy. I went to sleep happy last night. We had we had uh, Sparty winning, and that happened. We had uh, who else? We had uh, Duke Gonzaga and Gonzaga. Yeah, we, yeah, no, we had Gonzaga winning. What would we had three games that we talked about? We had, we had Gonzaga winning. We had Michigan State winning, and we had Texas A&M winning. We had A&M over Kentucky. That's right. Yeah. A&M, by the way, um, beat their brains in. They 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 romped him, but uh, who knows? That's actually just from a since we're talking about the committee and stuff. Um, they A and M kicked JJ Caldwell out of the program. Uh, Dwayne Wilson might not even be able to play the rest of the season. That's guard play. That's really important. Neither of those guys are their three best players, but A and M like starts getting on a roll, and now they've got turmoil there. They could be a fascinating uh, seed case or selection case come selection Sunday. So that's a quick side note. But yeah, they they romp Kentucky. Because I looked at this when I was evaluating them for the top twenty-five and one, they've got eight losses right now. So that that's that's a lot. Um, three of those eight losses came when they were literally down two starters. You know, and like so when they're healthy and at full strength, which you know it, it's not always the case, they're actually really good. Yeah, they're when, not going to be that though. Now Caldwell's now, gone. Like Wilson might be out for the year. So they're just gonna, that's what I'm saying. GP, just no no telling. How they're going because they're in this weird spot. Like they they've still got a lot of games ahead of them. Like, well, you know, thirty percent of their schedule. If you include Big Twelve play, if they go they go away, that's you know that's not nothing. But at the same time, the committee is going to have to evaluate them on 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 the season prior to this. So I don't know. I want to yeah. go back to Texas Tech real quick. Yeah. Because they are now in sole possession of um, first place in the Big Twelve. They are now projected by Kimpom to win the Big Twelve outright, which would obviously snap. Kansas's 13-year uh, run of, of winning at least a share of that league title. Here's what's wild. First off, here's what's wild about it. 
it's Texas Tech, <laughs> like in first place outright in the Big 12. That's what's wild. They have two of their top three scores. I looked this up last night. Are freshmen. They're sub 150 freshmen. Can you think of a team that's ever won a Power Five league that has had two of their top three scores be freshmen who were ranked outside of the top 150 in America? I can't, and like, I, 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 I honestly have no idea. Honestly, I don't even know how to look that up. Yeah. But that can't possibly have happened before, or at least it's very, very rare. I mean, Jarrett Culver and Zaire Smith were both, according to 24-7 Sports, ranked outside of the top 150 of the class of 2017. They are both averaging double-digit points for Texas Tech right now. They are the second and third leading scorers on the team. And Texas Tech is ranked in the top 10, a three-seed, according to the selection committee, and and in first place outright of the Big 12. Like, that's insane. I talked to Chris Beard about an hour before we started recording this podcast and basically touched on this with him, and he said, listen, I appreciate this as me paraphrasing. He goes, listen, I appreciate the question, but uh, to be honest, like, it's just disrespectful to my players. Like, oh. they were recruited well within the league. These are good players, and they've done such a great job teaming up with Keenan. Um, they were sought after by many programs that are on track to get to the NCAA tournament. So they weren't five-star guys. I get all that, but it's not like I just went down the road and plucked two guys off the street and had them on. So I was like, Chris, I'm just, I'm just, I was just asking, man. Like, he wasn't like angry either. He's like, I get where you're coming from, but I want to just eliminate this stigma and idea that these dudes that play for Texas Tech, like, were all plucked from some random junior college in the middle of Alaska, and now we're suddenly creating magic. He has a general point, but what you're saying is accurate as well. Yeah, but, but like, what he's basically saying is my guys were undervalued by the recruiting analysts, and that's clearly true. I I was gonna say probably true. Seems undeniable at this point. I'm just saying you can think whatever you want to think about recruiting sites and recruiting analysts and and how it's disrespectful to, to your guys. I'm just telling you, it's rare to to find a team leading a Power Five league. Two of its top three scores are freshmen who were ranked outside of the top 150 in their high school class. That's not normal. What's happening at Texas Tech right now isn't normal. So if I was Chris, I would actually just um, I'd be like, yeah, I'm amazing. Can you believe I'm doing this? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, t- I took two. I took two bums and put them into my uh, starting lineup, and I'm just running through the Big Twelve. Like, uh, yeah. Bill Self better be glad I didn't get here four years ago. I hear you. Um, GP, give me a give me just uh, a second to lay a few things out on you here and re- respond as you please. This is a totally off the cuff podcast, and I'm loving it. I can't, dude, we are like yeah. 46 minutes in. Gosh, well, it's going well, by well, a breeze. Here's the thing. Usually, I like you know, I tweet it with. Like, okay, at this minute mark, we start talking about this. This minute mark, we start talking. I'm just going to, like, probably tweet this and say, hey, we just talked for a while. If you yeah, listen- just bracket breakdown, whatever. It's all over the place here. Um, one thought. I wrote about Gonzaga. Feel free to read uh, read it at the site. Just They, they looked freaking dominant defensively at St. Mary's. That was a revenge win. Rui Hachimura was amazing on offense. Maybe, And he's had some moments he had not looked as good uh, at any other point in the season as he did on Saturday night. It just, when I watched Gonzaga play that way, and I looked back at, at how they've, yet again, with the exception of losing at home by three points to St. Mary's, they are just romping teams, double-digit win average in that in that conference, um, combined with the team that I saw in Portland. like that was, that was a growing team, but still a good team. Given everything they lost in the national championship game, 
I'm I'm in on Gonzaga being Sweet 16 second weekend caliber at this point. As long as Perkins can can kind of keep it rolling and 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 be the the steady presence um, as a as a as a backcourt player and a guy that can make plays, I'm I'm in on Gonzaga overall. But my that's not what I really wanted to throw at you. Um, I wanted to address the weekend and the week and combine that with the committee and. Maybe it was a ebbing tide, dropping all boats kind of situation with all of the ranked teams that were dropping games left and right. It was a, it was a, it was a bizarre weekend. Highlighted, yeah, I mean, like St. Mary's, like I could not believe that was the St. Mary's team that had gotten to the point where it was borderline top ten. Jock Landale had his worst game of the season, and credit goes to Gonzaga with that. I didn't know if there was a particular performance this weekend, win or lose, that would have stood out to you, like. Ohio State didn't drop the ball. I know it's just a random, but like a lot of teams are dropping the ball. Ohio State didn't, and Cincinnati got it done against SMU. The past two years, Cincinnati's been twenty-two and two, faced SMU and lost. On Sunday, it was twenty-two and two. This time, it actually won, so they dodged any sort of bullet. Xavier got a controversial win, but it put them on the one line, and I think that's valid. They 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 deserve to be there. So I didn't know if you had. Remove the bracket stuff, I guess, overall. From a game result perspective over the weekend, I think Sunday's bracket reveal has overshadowed some of that, but let's just tweak the clock back just a little bit. Um, Purdue, Michigan State, I mean, anything in particular stand out to you? Well, obviously, Virginia Tech winning at Virginia, right? I mean, that was a Virginia team that was a win away from, I think, in on Monday, being the number one team in America. That I don't think that. That was clear. Um, they were going to be a unanimous number one. Now I don't know what they will be. I do think the selection show will influence AP voters, if not the top I think 25. that's a fair assessment, and that's like that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Like without that, people have a real problem because here's the thing: Virginia was ranked number two last week. Okay, they're number two in the AP poll right now. So the idea that you could be number two, lose on Saturday, and then be number one. Like that just doesn't reg that like people can't put their heads around that, but it is the way it should be. I mean, the- it's probably I think uh, it might be Michigan State, but maybe not. Maybe if, by the way, if Michigan State like isn't even one or two, I think you'll really see how much influence the bracket has over the collective AP voting contingent. Right, because under normal like pre-selection show, if you don't mind me saying pre-poll attacks. Um, the natural thing AP voters would do is just, okay, number one lost, number two lost, number three lost, Michigan State has to be number one. There is no case to be made for Michigan State number one if you actually look at the bodies of work. If you simply stupidly do it by, well, that team lost, so X them out. That team lost, X them out. That team lost, X them out. Well, looks like Michigan State's the only team, is, is, is the highest ranked team that didn't lose last week. They should be number one. Like that is the way AP voters typically do it. I don't think it's the way they'll do it tomorrow, and I think a lot of it does have to do with the selection show. Uh, again, Virginia has the best resume in America. It's not. It's, I don't want to say it's not close, but it is clear if you look at it and really like look at it. Virginia's got the best resume. So Virginia Tech beating them uh, on the road um, is going to bring that into question a little bit, at least with AP voters. And it was also an, an awesome win for Buck Williams' team because they controlled that probably for from about the 10-minute mark in the first half till till like the last two minutes of regulation. And then it just got away from them. 
And when they ended up in overtime after just, I mean, it was, that was not the best two minutes of, of Virginia Tech basketball in the final two minutes of regulation, I thought it was done. You know what it reminded me of? A little bit like Kansas-Memphis 2008 national title game. Like, everybody remembers the Chalmers shot. It was still tied going into overtime, by definition. Like, anybody can win yes, the game. That has to happen, correct. Has to happen, otherwise you don't get to overtime. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to make this too complex for people, but you have to be People tired. forget the game was tied, and therefore it went into overtime. But, like, Memphis had no chance. Like, once Chalmers hit that shot, Memphis had no uh, chance. Excuse me. Hashtag Dozier for the tie. No, Dozier for the no, championship? No, is that what it is? It's my favorite Nance call ever. Like, all these great Jim Nance calls, like, in the history of golf <laughs> and basketball. My favorite forever. My ringtone. Some, I should make it my ringtone. Dozier for the championship. <laughs> he shot it early and, like, into the eighth row. It was the funniest. It's my favorite Nance call ever. Everybody remembers Chalmers for the tie. Chalmers for the tie. Yes. My, but right after that, if you let the tape roll, you get Dozier for the championship. <laughs> so good. So Dozier misses that, obviously. And then in uh, overtime, like Memphis just got it was. I think Cal has actually talked about this. Like we had it, it, the game was over. We were not winning that. Didn't it feel like that for Virginia Tech? You're on the road against the best team in the country, clearly the best defensive team in the country. You've just they're completely like like just. Gave the game away in the final minutes of regulation. Like, there's no way you're winning that in overtime. Didn't it feel that way? It did. And then Virginia, and it really yeah. almost went that way. Then Virginia Tech stole it in the final 60 seconds. They scored the game's final five points. And two things here. One, Virginia Tech's not a lock. Say this once on this podcast, and then hopefully I won't have to say it again until 2019. <laughs> I hate when people overreact in the middle of February to a bubble team beating a surefire like top 20 team and saying they're in, they're a lock. No. A lock should only be defined as this. Once you are locked, there's no going back, which means you can literally, even if it is .00001% chance of this happening, you can literally afford to lose every single game left on your schedule and you would still be in. That is what a lock is. Virginia Tech can't do that. They're not a lock. Okay? Well, you know the most famous example of this, at least in recent history, right? It involves Virginia Tech. Yeah. Like, it's okay, good point. so Virginia Tech beats Duke. Yes. And Dick Patel, like, live oh, yes. game, viewing Seth Greenberg. It's like, you're a lock for the tournament now. I said the and, same thing at the time. I remember this. And Seth was like, oh, thank you. And, like, the, in behind him, like, they stormed the court. It's like the, like the best scene in college basketball. Stormed the court. Dick Vitale's there. Seth Greenberg just upset Duke. I mean, it's like a perfect college basketball moment. And then, of course, Seth, you know, ends up on the wrong side of the bubble for like the millionth time in his career. Seriously. All right, here's my other thing with this game. I ask you this, and I also ask the listeners this. Even, like, include the overtime, that's fine. But, like, Virginia very well could have slash should have lost that game in regulation. And if you were watching the entirety of that game, here's what was bouncing around in my head. I thought, Virginia's been damn good this year. And this could be Bennett's best team defensively by a long shot, and that's really saying something considering how good Virginia's been. But if you watch this game, standalone, Saturday night, February, college basketball taking its first step into the spotlight, you see a, you see a two next to Virginia's name, you see a 49-49 to game, and you think, there is no way in hell I'm going to allow myself to trick myself to taking this team to the Final Four when they're doing this at home against Virginia Tech. I still think that's going to be the case, even if they run the table from now until Selection Sunday. 
people won't be able to get this game out of their heads and the reputation of Virginia out of their heads. Do you find yourself thinking the same thing? I understand why people would think that. I won't necessarily think that. Like, I, I can't promise you I'm going to pick Virginia to go to the Final Four, but I, their their history won't influence my decision. Um, although I do acknowledge this. And by the way, I think they're going to be a one seed, and and so like they'll be the favorite in their region to go. But their struggles on offense, like they do not score, at a, and and the tempo at which they play. Are problems because and I've had I, I've had a lot of conversations with coaches about this what Virginia does works clearly beautifully throughout the regular season but ultimately you are judged by what you do in that single elimination tournament of 40 minute basketball games and when you play even if you're clearly better than your opponent when you play at their tempo which is literally the worst I mean, the, I shouldn't say the worst because right, somebody, slowest. It, it's the slowest. Um, it's the slowest tempo, and like it, it ranks three fifty one out of three fifty one. You limit possessions, you reduce possessions, and that increases a likelihood of an upset. Like it's just like, uh, I you know, it, it, like the more like it's it's the reason in a seven game series the Golden State Warriors aren't going to lose. They could lose in a single elimination tournament, but in a seven-game series, like even if if you made it a nine-game series, their odds would increase. If you made it an eleven-game series, their odds would increase. The longer you make it, the 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 more the more you reduce the likelihood of an upset. Well, bas- a, a single basketball game is similar. The the fewer possessions you have, the 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 less likely it is, or the more likely there is that, that that an upset could occur. So what Virginia does, by the way it approaches the sport of basketball, which is be awesome defensively, play slower than anybody, and limit possessions, it, 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 it lets people hang around. Even teams that aren't as good as you are going to hang around. You're probably not going to run away from them, and it makes them susceptible. And so if I were going to take into consideration anything about Virginia, that's what I would take into consideration, that they are probably more susceptible to an upset than most teams that are going to have a seed like them based on they they shorten the game. They, they, they turn a 40-minute game into a 33-minute game or whatever the math is on that. And, and so that's a problem. But I, I've also always believed this. The NCAA tournament, it's not a crapshoot, but it's it's a single elimination tournament of 40 minute games with a short three point line. Like like crazy things can happen. But if you consistently put together a good team, which Tony does, and you consistently get a high seed, which they do, eventually it's just going to bounce you. It's just going to go the way you need it to go. Eventually Tony Bennett will eventually end up in a final four. Um, just because he always has good teams that are always seated highly. Um, and, and yeah, I think it could be this year, but those are, those other things are problems undeniably. Uh, before we wrap up here and talk about Tuesday's games, I do want to uh, just uh, push a piece. That's not if you're if you're uh, if you're listening to this Sunday night or early Monday morning, um, the piece won't be up then, but it's it's scheduled to go up on Monday. So six of the seven, uh, there are six teams I should say that were that were in the top uh, sixteen in this release, um, and six of those teams were not ranked in the preseason. And not only have they gone from 
unranked in the preseason to making it on this list and being a top 16 team in the country. Uh, at the time that I just uh, generated this the story idea, they were all um, ranked in the top 20, and they were all Ken Palm top 20 teams, with the exception of the only team uh, that was not in this top 16 but was still ranked, and that's Nevada. The other six that were not ranked in the preseason that have gotten to this point, Virginia, Tennessee, Texas Tech, Ohio State, Auburn and Clemson. I talked to the head coaches of all those programs about what they expected, what surprised them, uh, this, that, and the other. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we have a lot of programs here you'll notice with Tech and Clemson and Auburn, certainly Tennessee, which has a, a, f- a fervent fan base, but still it's not used to being on the four line or better here. Um, they could have potentially really exhilarating marches because their programs are, are making a big push. to so the store. The column is, is, is about that and just what, you know, us in the media and even you know the metrics uh missed on by and large and um i only bring that up because you mentioned virginia i talked to tony and just said listen you know you're you're doing this well and he said you know he wanted to say no i don't like to have paralysis by analysis i'm not really trying to look too deep into why we have been as good as we are in defense all i know is these guys have have certainly adapted well um they're a bit longer stronger better than i think people give them credit for and then on offense it, Matt, we keep it simple. Like we we run what we need to run to get the best possible shot, and with the way that we do it, that you know that usually means we're we're draining out, we're bleeding the clock. But we want to get the best shot possible. Short of that Virginia Tech game, even though they're not an elite offensive team, they've been relatively good as it stands. With that, I do think they are still susceptible, though. No matter what, um, I'm not saying I won't pick them. I I, I will probably like I'd be hard pressed. Like right now, I think I'd be like a lot of people um, in that region. I'd probably take Michigan State. They've also got Cincinnati and Tennessee. And as a side note, Virginia-Cincinnati is a 44-41 to regional final if they ever met. Like, that is not appealing. No, it could be 37-36. Dude, it would be – it would actually be, like, darkly intriguing for how unappealing the game would be. I would love that game. I would love to watch Virginia play Cincinnati. And they'd go into the first TV timeout, it'd be 0-0. Dude, it, I'm with you, man. It would be morbid theater, and I'm here for it. Like, give me Virginia versus Cincinnati in the tournament by any means possible. I'm so down with it. Um, that would be in the South region as we have it right now. Uh, but if you had Virginia-Michigan State, I'd be hard-pressed not to take the Spartans right now on a neutral. And I'm willing to, to say that Virginia obviously would be favored in that game. I'd be ready to be wrong. But in a tournament setting, one and done, I'd probably let my urges take over uh, because Michigan State has a more appealing team on the whole. But, uh, but we'll see. What we have here, the brackets are obviously going to shift between now and Selection Sunday. Um, I think Tony, when he's talking to you, is probably giving himself not enough credit. I mean, here's the truth. They've been top 10 in defensive efficiency for five straight years. You know what that means? Like a total turnover in roster. Yeah. Not the same players. It's not like he tapped into like some players and they really get at Like, it's him. He's the reason. You could take him, give him five new – give him a whole new team next year, and they'd guard. You know, like, it, it's him. It's his program. He's, um, he's excellent at that. And it's why he's just too good not to get to a Final Four at some point. I know people are going to you know, forever – you know, bang on him uh, until they break through the same way they, you know, used to bang on Bill Self until he broke through. And, um, you know, used to, you know, like I, I just remember talking to Billy Donovan about this after he won his first national championship because the five years before he won that first national title, Florida had been bounced from the NCAA tournament in the first weekend. Zero sweet 16s, five straight years, Billy Donovan. 
And he just said, like, I just assumed, I just thought, always thought that if I keep, you know, like there were times in those five years where we lost games we should have won. We got somebody in foul trouble and lost. You know, we missed a shot in the final minute. Somebody else made a shot in the final minute. So now we're out of the tournament. But if you just keep giving yourself enough at bats, like put together a good team, put it in that bracket. Now go. Eventually, it's just going to go your way. And like eventually it went my way. And then it went his way two straight years. And now he's the coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. But I, I obviously Tony and Billy are different guys, different philosophies, different approaches. But they're similar in this. They're both excellent basketball coaches who who always had good teams. And I, I, I'm not predicting Tony's going to win back-to-back titles, maybe not even a national title. But he, he'll get where it is he's trying to go at some point just because he's, you know, he gets into the batter's box, you know, it, it, with an, adva- you know, an advantage every year, it seems like. He's got a good team every year, good seed every year. And, um, and they'll break through. They'll break through at some point. I don't think – and I don't expect him to, but he's not giving himself enough credit with, with what this team's doing. Like, um, you give this same roster to another dude, it's not – the selection committee didn't call it the number one team in America. Yeah, agreed. Virginia plays at Miami Tuesday night. Um, Miami's a team in need of victories, man. They don't have – they don't have the best player at this point. Um, they didn't have their coach over the weekend. Yeah, Larenega got sick. Chris Caputo stepped in, couldn't get Shot. the win at Boston College. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I hated seeing uh, like you know, obviously when you're an associate head coach and you get put in that position, like you know, you want to win the game. Like it actually, like it means like if Jim Larenega loses at Boston College, like whatever. But to Caputo, that 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 I know it's not a big deal, but I just know that uh, yeah. I'd like to see him win that game. No Bruce Brown for Miami in this game um, would do wonders for Miami's resume, which is not great. Uh, haven't done a lot in the non-con, and a once-valuable road win against Minnesota is losing its value by the week here. So this is a huge opportunity for Miami on Tuesday night. Uh, I think Virginia's going to be able to steal that. If it doesn't, uh, you'll perhaps see some more um, some more widespread criticism come in Virginia's way. Uh, but that could be a case where a desperate Miami team is able to put it all together if Larry Negus, especially on the bench, they can get it done. What else is, is uh, peeking out to you on Tuesday, GP? There's not there's not a whole lot great Virginia at Miami I think is interesting I, Oklahoma we've already talked about it but Oklahoma at Texas Tech is super interesting because um, if Texas Tech wins you know they remain in sole possession of first place Big Twelve standings and like are you know one game like Kansas is run they're not out of time but every game going forward like decreases the likelihood that they're going to be able to do what they set out to do if Texas Tech keeps winning so um, Kansas fans. Uh, need oh, Trey Young to go ball out in, in, in Lubbock. Um, obviously, Oklahoma needs a win, just any win. Um, and Texas Tech's trying to win a Big 12 title outright. So, like, that game's interesting on a couple different levels because if Texas Tech loses, means Oklahoma wins, then, you know, people like, okay, Kansas is now tied in the loss column again. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Um, but if, and, and, you know, and then if, but if Oklahoma loses, it's like Oklahoma lost again? Like, you know, they, they, they haven't won much lately. Yeah. I don't. I, I think I saw somebody tweet they haven't won a game out of the state of Oklahoma in 2018. So, like, you're asking them to do something Tuesday night that they haven't done yet so far this calendar year. Um, so that's a game that's going to have – there'll be a story – this is what I when – I, when I look at games, this is what I look for. Um, if one team wins, is there a storyline? If another team wins, is there a story? This one, there's a storyline no matter who wins again. Agreed. Um, uh, Pepper and a few other games here. Uh, LSU plays out Alabama Tuesday night. That's just Tremont Waters versus Colin Sexton. That, 
fun. That's fun. That's a that's a nine o'clock tip. That's just a that's a great matchup between two freshmen that I think are have been two of the top six or seven freshmen in the country this season, and I'd love to see them uh, have a have a couple of great games and give us some good entertainment there. Uh, Kansas at Iowa State. It's at Iowa State, so it's always interesting when Kansas goes there because those fans absolutely hate the Jayhawks. And uh, Iowa State did manage, obviously, to get the win over the weekend against Trey Young in Oklahoma. Um, just keep an eye on it. I, I would think Kansas will win, but uh, you never know. Uh, we'll see what happens there. It's similarly, like Michigan State goes to Minnesota. The Spartans should win that easily, GP. But if they lose it, like if you think them being on the three line was bad to begin with, like losing at Minnesota uh, is going to really, really hurt their cause big picture um, when it comes to seating situations. Still in the Big Ten, like we'll still wait a little bit more before we get here. But if Nebraska wins at home against Maryland, which it will They're be. They're not far off. I looked at their resume earlier today. They're not far off. They're going to be 11-4 and four in the Big Ten and really knocking on the bubble's door here. They got In fact, three of their final four are at home. They, they are reasonably going to have 12 wins in the league, but they don't have a lot in the non-con. They're going to have to do something in the Big Ten. Nebraska could be a fascinating bubble conversation. We'll get to Tim Miles' Cornhuskers here soon enough. we got to see them do a little bit more. Last one on Tuesday. There's nothing huge, but then we've got a depleted A&M team going to Missouri. Both of those teams would really benefit from a win there and really take a kind of a bad ding with a loss. So a potentially good situation and guaranteed at a, at a rough situation there. So a lot of just stuff to track on Tuesday without a headlining game. You feel like we've said enough by now? This has been one of the longer podcasts, but it's been a good chat, man. Have a safe flight to New York. Obviously, listeners, we'll be back for you Wednesday early afternoon to get that pod going, man. You and Hey, listen, you go enjoy your Sunday night. Do you realize, how about this? Homeland is back. I think you gave up on okay, Homeland. Okay, no, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm actually still, I'm still on board. Okay, here's the thing. Because I, I kept, you know, where I kept seeing the advertisements were like the, the site. Right? Dude, <laughs> I had no idea the show was coming back like this soon. Like I knew it wasn't done, but then I checked the site and I was like, "Holy crap!" Like the next season right. of Homeland starts on Sunday. Yeah. Right. Okay, so I saw it there, and then my wife watches Shameless. Do you watch Shameless? I I do not. I will get to it eventually. I've heard it's terrific. Yeah, my I I just I can only commit to so many shows, and I didn't really commit to that. But my wife watches it, so she was watching. Um, she was getting caught up this morning. As I was walking out the door, and um, they had a you know a, a commercial like a preview like Homeland's coming back tonight. And here's the thing with Homeland. I have watched every season of it, like I, like so like in theory like okay Homeland's coming back tonight, awesome. I don't even remember. You can't tell. <laughs> you can't tell me I, what happened. <laughs> no, I have no idea what's going on. I like I really don't remember. Damian like, Lewis he, hasn't been on the show in like five years. You are aware you know, of that. I right? saw he, he he was he was hanged. I believe yeah. in the Middle East somewhere. <laughs> well, no, that isn't how his character ended. But, dude, he he escaped to Canada. You have no idea what's happening on this Hold show. On, did he? No, he. Yeah, he escaped to Canada, but then he died. No, did he? Oh, I think you're right, dude. I'm I'm no. twisted, <laughs> dude. I'm twisted. You're right. I know, but I know the... he escaped Canada. He eventually died, though. Yeah. He he was. It's been a while. Last season they was. You don't remember what happened last season? No idea. I remember it started in like Brooklyn. Yeah, and it was all basically New York City, and it was. Um, it was just amazing. Quinn was like, all messed up, and yeah, oh yeah, Quinn got like oh, and he was living in Carrie's basement. Yes, yes. Kicked out a window. I remember that. Yes, it was. A, it was a whole deal and situation with that. But, and so, so today, like, I went to Wikipedia. I was like, man, I'll just try to read the plot. Like, what happened in whatever season was that? And I'm like, I don't remember. Any, I don't even know what's going on. I just want Carrie to. You know what I really want is um, what was our guy's name again? The 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 guy who 
the initial character. Hey, Brody, you're talking about Damian Lewis? Brody. Yeah. I miss I want Damian Miss Brody back. You want him back? Well that's not happening. No, no, not Brody. I want Miss Brody back. Oh, uh, what's her name? Do you know her name? I can't remember it. Mrs. Brody home <laughs> and I'm gonna look this look her up. I know the name of the actress, I just can't remember. Bacaron? Yeah. I love her. Yeah. I don't know why she I don't know why they can't bring her back. Can't they make her a terrorist or something? Bring her back, please. Terrorist? Yeah, something. Can't they? So I'm it's, looking forward to watching the season of Homeland with you and having you no idea what's happening. Miss Brody a terrorist and brought her back. Yeah. I I honestly I have no idea what's going on at home. I've watched every episode. I don't have no idea. I I I enjoy off, it enough to not give up on it, but I, I think I'm actually with you in that I cannot tell you. I generally remember what happened last season, but like the season you before Brody that on Drake's last mixtape. <laughs> what? You thought Brody was in Canada with, with Kyle Lowry. <laughs> well he did uh, escape to it. I got my, my finales twisted there. But he did go to Canada at one point, but then he ended up in the Middle East. Yeah, that's like, right, yeah. And then yeah, they Watch him die. They conditioned him to be a drug addict and all this stuff and shoot up heroin and all that stuff. Yeah. So. I, no, that's that's the other dude. What are you talking no, about? No, I could have sworn. Didn't the, is it the other dude? <laughs> that's the other dude that lived in the basement and kicked out the window. Quinn. Yeah, Quinn. That's Quinn. Quinn I got thought him. they did that with Brody as well. Or did he not take the bait? I could have sworn. I can't. I, I feel like I'm envisioning okay, a scene where I he's in better. like one of the slums and they're like making him do it. I don't have any recollection of that. I think you're making that. I think you're making that up. I think I, I think Brody went to somewhere to like do work and and like he was gonna try to kill somebody, and then they caught him and then they hung. They they just like they eliminated him right there in the public. It's a public hanging. Yeah. Carrie watched it. She cried. I think I might have cried. Yeah, I remember her watching that and crying. Yes. Uh... Yeah. Because you would. You know, you would if somebody you slept with then was <laughs> then was sentenced to death by hanging in public. That'd probably make you cry, unless you really hated him. Ideally, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. It's anyway, been a long time since we took a, this this hard hey, of a left turn. We probably both need to re- like watch last season. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be on tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna watch Homeland maybe. Man, yeah, me me too maybe maybe. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch Homeland. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll watch it on the plane tomorrow morning or something. Anyway, hey, it was good chatting with you. Yeah, man, I I, I agree. It's been uh, it's been a good it's been a good podcast episode. Are here. we done? I mean, we can. I, I I'm I here's what. I... <laughs> you want to talk about strength of schedule one more time? <laughs> no, I, I'm good. I'm good with that. Uh, thank you to listeners for for tolerating us and putting up with us. Uh, we do we do sincerely appreciate it. We had I think we had some some itchy listeners. Uh, not like. Not like actually itchy. You might want to check out a doctor if if that's happened to you. But um, mm. they were hoping for a for a podcast after the bracket got revealed. But you know, you had work to do. I, had work I was sidelined on Memphis UCF, watching Memphis lose for I believe the third consecutive game. This time to a Central Florida team without Taco Fall in its home arena, FedEx. <laughs> over under twelve hundred people. Nah, it's got to be over, right? They they had. Yeah, that was over, but it was like not good. You know, like I mentioned on the broadcast to the delight of Memphis fans. Uh, Ten years ago today, Memphis was 23 and 0 and ranked number one in the country. Today, and coming off a 21 point victory over Central Florida, today they lost to Central Florida in front of about 5,000 fans, and they are ranked 166th at Kimpom. Lovely. 
And they got uh, one recruit signed for the class of 2018. He's ranked like 307th in America. I know. You got like 10 of these bullet points. You got them every day on your radio show. Every day. Relentless. All right. Tell them how they can uh, subscribe and rate and all that stuff. <laughs> Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Uh, rate it favorably. You can do it over at iTunes. Five stars with nice comments. Nothing but nice comments. That's hey, hold have. on, GP. I want. Yeah. I remember what I wanted to say. Okay. We got more cool news about the podcast, and this is why I wanted to shout everyone out. Okay. So I don't know how this is measured, but everyone listening right now, you're awesome. Mm-hmm. Because we were told that our – I don't even know the phrase they use. But the people – like our podcast's finish rate, the people that start the podcast and then finish it is like – 90% or something like that, which frankly isn't damn good enough, but it's still amazing. Um, and uh, so we probably, we probably messed that up today. <laughs> maybe not, though. Maybe not. Maybe like not. we might have messed that up today. Might have been. Might have <laughs> when, we were both, when we were both confused about Homeland, we probably lost them. <laughs> I guess it is possible. Hey, 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 let's talk about the return of a show most people don't watch and then and then be confused by it. That'll be a way to hold listeners to the end. The, the the OG diehards will remember when you and Borzello used to go all in on what was that show? I don't know. Dude, you both watched it. It has like Kerry Washington in it. Oh, Scandal. Yeah. I stopped that one too. Yeah, like you so- used to do like weekly powwows with Borzello on the podcast. Like in the, in the middle of talking about what's going on in the Big East race, you just go all in on, on Skid. I like Scandal when it was just like the President of the United States sleeping with this hot woman and like in all of the, all of that. And then like at one point I looked up and Carrie was in, uh, Carrie Washington was in, like she'd been kidnapped or something. I was like, all right, I, I got enough of this. I can't, I can't keep up. And so I gave up on that. I wonder if it's still good. It didn't seem good when I left it. <laughs> I have no idea. But anyway. I wish this Brody would come back. That's all I want. All right, do this, do the thing again. Okay, yeah. Please go subscribe to Ion College Basketball Podcast. Rate it favorably. Nice comments. That's all we ask. And then uh, we promise we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday, probably for fewer minutes and probably um, more about basketball. Till then, take care.